Hello, everyone. I want to thank everyone listening for joining me for the first episode of the Rockets Red Glare podcast. Uh, first, I want to thank everyone for taking the time out of your day to listen. To introduce myself, my name is Ed Holden. I'm 18 years old. I'm a high school senior. Personally, I view myself politically as a liberal Democrat. Uh, some of the issues I'm passionate about are labor unions, veterans' rights, Medicare for all, and climate change, among many others. Before I begin, I want to tell everyone what the format of the show is going to be. There's going to be an issue that I'm going to talk about from the majority of the show, and then towards the end, I'm going to talk about and give my own opinion on some listener-submitted topics. Um, so, to begin with, I want to talk about an issue that's on everyone's mind, the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. Currently, in my home state of Delaware, there are 213 cases. In the United States, there are well over 100,000 cases in the United States alone. The world, in general, um, and you know, has not seen a disease, I'd say, as contagious or as dangerous as this uh, since the swine flu back in the early 1900s. And it was because of that that a lot of governors in many states have enforced uh, stay-at-home orders. The stay-at-home orders are basically to ensure that social distancing is practice. Yesterday um, is the last time that I went out, and I went out, brought hand sanitizer with me, practiced social distancing, and made sure to follow all the guidelines the governor had set and all the tips he had given to prevent the spread of the disease. What I'd like to say is that for the majority of this, the lifestyle change has been tough. As a high school senior, I've given up hope on having a prom or graduation. I've also given up hope on going to any large gatherings during the summer, such as conventions or music festivals. Now, to make clear, I take this disease extremely seriously. I'll get into more detail about specifics later as to why, but I want to give some background on the disease itself, how it spread, before I really get into the nitty-gritty of why this is such a dangerous disease. So, currently in the United States, as some background information, we have more cases than any other nation. The United States has more cases than anybody else. But you might ask how we got here, and to begin, on December 31st, before the turn of the new decade, the World Health Organization says that a new disease is sickening dozens in China. The World Health Organization said that all most majority of the people infected had visited a live animal market in Wuhan, China. Eleven days later, on January 11th, someone who had the disease passed away. January 21st, a man who visited Wuhan, China, enters the United States carrying the coronavirus. This point will come back later, but 23 days after the announcement by the World Health Organization, so on January 23rd, China put Wuhan on lockdown. So after 23 days of when they realized the disease was there, they put China on lockdown. That'll come back later. To continue, January 30th, for the sixth time in the World Health Organization's history, they said there was a public health emergency of international concern. So for the sixth time, they said there was a public health emergency of international concern. On February 26th, the first person not to contact someone with the virus or travel outside the U.S. has it. If you're wondering what that means, that means that some, it was locally transmitted. So they had not interacted with anyone with the virus, nor had they gone anywhere where the virus was. It had just transmitted to them. Soon, many cruise ships now have reported COVID-19 cases. Um, there are two ships that I broke towards the beginning of this. They were owned by the Carnival Cruise Line and they were seen to have corona cases on them, so they were isolated. Currently, this is a break from that, that the CDC reports there's 25 cruise ships that have traces of corona. There's currently 25. But to continue, on February 29th, the United States has its first death due to the coronavirus. 
On March 3rd, about a month and a half after the disease is found in the U.S., now the Center for Disease Control, also known as the CDC, says anyone can be tested for corona, not just those who have traveled or been in contact with someone with the virus. So, weeks after the virus gets to the United States, now the CDC says anyone can be tested. Okay, so they said that now now people can be tested. Before, it was only people who were at risk in the sense that they had been in contact with someone who had it or they had been somewhere that has it. Okay, so you need to remember, February 26th is when the virus had first been seen to transmit locally. So about a week later, now they say other people can be tested. No one knows how, how much it could have spread at that point, but basically a week after it had been locally transmitted, that's when they make that decision. That'll come back later, but I just want to make that point now. On March 13th, two months since the first U.S. case, President Trump declares a state of emergency. At this point, we had, and by we I mean the United States, had 1,642 cases. Okay? On March 17th, corona is in all 50 states. Okay, so on, on March 17th, that's when corona is in all the 50 states. Okay, so that, that's, that's, that's the end of the background, and now we'll move into more current stuff. Um, and along with that, we're going to move into the lack of preparedness and action, the lack of preparedness that I felt uh, that was there and the lack of action that was taken. So why is it so bad it is one of the questions I want to answer. So in early 2018, President Trump disbanded and eliminated the pandemic response team. So what does that mean? That means that the organization that was meant to take on this disease, take on, you know, respond to this pandemic, wasn't there. President Trump had gotten rid of them in 2018. So the team that would have been able and had the necessary components to take this on early on didn't exist. President Trump had gotten rid of them. And and now I, I, I want to bring something up as to why, why a team like that is needed, okay? Well, we can look at the coronavirus. We can look at the spread. You know, normal normal diseases, we, we understand how they can spread. We understand at the rate they'll spread. Coronavirus spreads at a rate we've not seen. We've not, we've not seen before. We've seen things like it, but coronavirus is its own beast, I'll say. Think about it. We went from 1,642 cases in the United States to 116,000 in 15 days. If you want the math on that, it got 70 times worse. We had 1,642 cases, and then 15 days later, we had 116,000. Yeah, that's that's an f- insane increase. It's an insane increase. It was, it was 70 times worse. But to continue, our healthcare workers don't have the necessary supplies to deal with this. This isn't a past issue. This is one they're still dealing with now. The shortage of equi- equipment is almost unfathomable. First off, the American public has bought so many you know, gloves and masks that doctors actually are running out. I got dental surgery last week, um, and my doctor even brought up that they're running out of masks because they've been bought up so much. So, you know, a lot of people who are on the front line of this, who are combating the disease head-to-head, they don't have the necessary gear they need. Um, so, the people meant to ca- uh, take care of the disease, again, don't have the necessary equipment. And second, there are two countries that the U.S., in my opinion, can compare to in terms of corona, China and Italy. In China and Italy, their doctors have hazmat suits. They don't have, you know, just gloves and masks. They have hazmat suits. That is, the people who are dealing with the disease, taking it on head-on, their healthcare professionals, have hazmat suits. Okay? Their medical practice is insanely high. So, what about us? What about the country that it's being compared to? 
how's how's our uh, healthcare standards? How's how's our how's the standards of equipment they must they need to have our healthcare professionals? Well, the CDC lowered our requirements. I'm gonna say that again. The CDC lowered the requirements for equipment that doctors have to have when dealing with these patients. You know, China and Italy have hazmat suits. They've taken the full precautions needed. Their, their standards are insanely high, but necessary. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the United States, lowered it. So when, when we had something that spreads at such an abnormal rate, uh, and that is so serious, the CDC said, no, we're going to lower the standards of the equipment our doctors have to have, which I, I, I find completely deplorable. That's absolutely insane. You do not lower the standards when you are faced with a disease with that spreads at such a high rate that is so dangerous. You don't lower your standards. You raise them. You raise them. So, before I go on, I want to say we owe our medical professionals an exuberant debt of gratitude as this crisis continues. An exuberant debt of gratitude. They are on the front line taking on this disease. Uh, that needs to be remembered. That They are on the front line. They are the ones taking on this disease. So, now on to the point of a lack of action. Why do I feel that this administration took a lack of action? Well, for two reasons. First off, comparatively, we are nowhere near where China is in terms of as a, the preparedness and the actions they took. Okay, China built a fully functioning hospital in 10 days. They built a fully functioning hospital for these patients in 10 days. What are we doing? Well, the Center for Disease Control is lowering our standards for what we need. China is raising them to an insane level because they see the severity. We're lowering it. We're lowering the uh, equipment needs of our doctors. So, along with that, when the disease broke out in China, 23 days later, they put Wuhan on lockdown. They found this, where the disease is coming from. They put it on lockdown. Okay. And before I go on, I want to say China is 100% not uh it was almost not guilty in some of this okay they they did not handle the disease well to begin with however the difference is that they quickly realized the severity and they moved from it okay the, that's that's the main thing we did not quickly realize the severity we didn't okay when president trump declared the state of emergency only 16 states had closed schools Okay, not, not even half. 16 states had closed schools and, and, and you know, decided to do that. And President Trump declared the state of emergency. And to make clear, it's not simply on President Trump for this aspect. This falls on local officials. But I'd just like to say, again, China, while they completely messed up in the uh, beginning and they need to be held accountable for that, they realized the severity quickly. We did not. Okay, we did not. And we still are not taking it as seriously as we need to. So, uh, to continue, I'm now going to bring up a few points that hopefully will tell you how bad the situation could be in the United States, okay? So first, as I said before, the United States has the most coronavirus cases in the world, okay? We're the country with the most coronavirus cases. We have a population of 327.2 million people, million China has a population of 1.386 billion people. They have four times our population with even more land area. And we have more cases. Not to mention, it started in China. But because they took it seriously 
and they you know took the steps to stop the spread, they're able to lower their case amount. Okay, we overtook them. We have four times less people, and they are a larger country in terms of area. Yet we have more cases. We have more cases. Okay, because we did not take it seriously enough, and we are not taking the proper precautions that we need. So now, the second reason that I feel there was a lack of action was in terms of policy. Okay, first. The initiative taken for testing is deplorable. Our labs cannot test at the rate needed. Our president and his administration say uh, that they, they will be able to pump out the tests that they need. They'll be able to get it out quickly. However, the steps taken to ensure that is little to none. Okay, so March 6th, uh, there was a promise that the administration is going to get out a million tests to labs by the end of the week. Okay, they'll get a million tests out to labs by the end of the week. They then said on March 6th, we will fall short of that goal. They made very clear, we will fall short of that goal. Th that's an issue within itself, okay? That they had made that promise. They had clearly assumed they'd be able to, but then they weren't able to follow through. They made that promise and couldn't follow through. Okay, well, March 7th, the day after, Trump says, anyone who wants a test can get one. Anyone who wants a test can get one. Along with that, uh... They also said a vaccine will be here soon. Donald Trump said a vaccine will be here soon. No doctor agrees with them. No, every doctor uh, says that it'll be much uh, much longer before we have a vaccine. Some say it'll be up to a year before we have one. But President Trump said, no, it'll be here soon. It'll be here soon. And listen, I don't have an issue with the President of the United States calming his people. Okay, I don't have an issue with that. It, I understand why Donald Trump needs to take steps to calm his people and, and you know make sure no one is, you know, Losing, losing their minds, okay? But here, hear me out. You cannot lie to the American people. You can take the steps to calm them, but do not lie. The minute you lie is when people are going to say, okay, our own government's lying to us. What the hell is going on? That's where some of the issues start. You cannot lie to the American people. Don't say there's going to be tests if there isn't going to be tests. Your own administration told you there isn't going to be tests, and you went out and said, anyway... The doctors who you have are telling you there's not going to be a vaccine, but you said anyway. Don't lie to your people. Don't blatantly lie. It's absolutely deplorable. Do not lie to your people. Okay? But, but now we can move to literal policy. We will move to the Senate and the House. Okay? Senators and representatives have come out saying that we need direct payments to American families. However, they do not agree on the amount or how to divvy this up. Okay. Uh, the difference in how they want to divvy it up and the amount is pretty much split directly down party lines. Okay. So many bills have been brought up in the Senate who will be focusing on, and many have failed. The, Sen the Senate is who will be focusing on uh, mainly for this. They failed uh, the bills because of split decisions on how to give aid. Republicans wanted aid to families, small businesses, and they wanted to give buyouts for large corporations. Okay. The Democrats said that money for big corporations should be given to the people. Uh, many of you will go one way with that, but personally, I agree more with the Democrats for that, in my opinion. Okay. Personally, while I think large corporations are essential to our livelihood and our economic standing, they are, one arm's percent they need to be taken care of. However, the economic standing they have they'll be able to survive much longer than a single mother who's out of a job right now. Okay, Airlines, for example, say they have until mid-May. The single mother who's not getting an income anymore has until the end of the week. 
Okay. While I understand and agree that corporations need to be a large priority, I don't believe their need should be on the same level of your country's citizens. Okay. I know many will disagree, but that is how I feel. Okay. Your first priority should be the people. Okay. And if these large corporations can survive for uh, you know months months to come, you take care of the people first. Okay, take care of the people first, then move to the corporations. The corporations will be a necessity, but you need to focus on the people first. Okay, so Democrats shoot down a bunch of relief bills. Okay, the Democrats are the ones who shot it down. The Republicans put forth a lot of bills, but because the Democrats did not believe in a lot of the buyouts, they shot it down. Okay, the Republicans say the people need help now. We don't have time for you to shoot down these bills. The people and businesses need aid. Okay, well, in an inspiring moment of unity, both sides negotiated, and what we got is the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, also known as the CARES Act. It gives millions of Americans direct payments, expands unemployment insurance, and sends money to businesses and hospitals. So, uh, while Senator McConnell, the majority leader, called it a Republican-leaning bill, I would say I agree with Chuck Schumer that this bill gives direct payments uh, to families and also expands social programs, and if that is what Republican is now, I'm in shock. If anyone doesn't know, the Republican Party is meant to be the party of small government, okay? Um, the party of, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. And listen, the Republican Party has been leaning more libertarian. There, there start to be a shift towards more right-leaning libertarianism. However, currently they're still seen as the party of small government. Um, and... <laughs> If this bill clearly is the opposite of small government, um, this, this is 100% a big government bill expanding social programs and giving direct payments. This is in no way a small government bill. Don't call it Republican-leaning because it frankly isn't. It's 100% Democratic-leaning. Um, but anyway, that's where we are now. Okay, that, that, That's where we are now for uh, this bill, and that's where we are for you know the social programs. Uh, that are going to come out, you know, the direct payments, and also the expansion of unemployment insurance. So now, we're going to move on to viewer-submitted topics. Okay, so these these are submitted by the people listening. Um, and before I begin, I want to say a lot of people mentioned, you know, climate change, reparations, and abortion. They deserve an episode all on their own. All the issues I'm going to bring up are important, but I think that reparations, abortion, climate change, and many others are so complicated that I think I need to devote a whole show to them, so I'm going to save those for later. But now we're going to move on to many other issues. So the first one uh, is submitted by my friend Daniel Nivens, and he wanted to know about the debt and the spending we have. Okay, So the debt we have is $966 billion, Okay, and to pay off that debt, we have borrowed $23 trillion. We borrowed $23 trillion. So we have a $966 billion uh, debt to pay, and we have $23 trillion that we've taken to pay off that debt. So I talked to a congressperson's aide. I'm not going to say from whose office because I, I don't want to you know, get them in trouble, but I talked to a congressperson's aide, and what they said is that we won't be able to pay off the debt. They said the debt is way too high to a point to where they don't see how we'll be able to pay it off. Okay, that, that's what that's what the aide said. And I, listen, I think there's ways we can, and things we can take to lower it, um, steps that need to be taken. However, the issue is that it's, it's such a high rate that 
it's going to be very hard to find what those are going to be. Okay, it's it's reached a level now where it's not going to be impossible, but it's going to be insanely difficult for us to lower that deficit. We've we've gotten such a high bill that now it's it's going to be a real struggle for us to lower that. Okay, it's going to be a real struggle for us to lower that. And again, I think I'll go into that later on in term like a later episode. But that's where we are now. Um, it's been put on the back burner as many issues have because of Corona. Uh, but I think when everything restarts, I should say, or like, you know, business just start back up and we move on to other issues, I think uh, the def- deficit and debt needs to be looked at. But anyway, next topic is submitted by Bryce Robinson, and he wanted to know about the racism towards Chinese Americans. So, if you don't know, uh, there has been blatant racism towards Chinese Americans as of late. People have been calling the virus the China virus, um, which if you don't know, is extremely insulting to many people of Chinese descent and Asian Americans in general. Okay, you are going after an entire group of people when you call it that. And many people, they've said, well, calling it the China virus, uh, you know, attacks President Xi, it goes after him, and goes after China for not handling this well. Well, a few things. One, no, it doesn't. I, President Xi does not care about you calling it the China virus. I can guarantee he probably doesn't even know that it's a thing. Okay, it will not face him whatsoever. And again, all this does is hurt people. Okay, when you call it the China virus, you are hurting groups of people for no apparent reason. Personally, I don't see the issue with calling it by its actual name, coronavirus COVID nineteen. It's its name. It's what you should call it. Don't come up with a nickname for some harebrained theory that you think it's going to attack someone who it's not. Okay, you are not you're not going out and you know going against the establishment and you know rebelling against the Chinese government. No, you're not. It's it's bigoted. Okay, you're hurting people. I don't understand why people feel the need to to do that. There's it's there's no point to it. Just call it by its scientific name. There is no point in you calling it the China virus. Call it what it is, COVID-19 coronavirus, okay? Plain and simple. Just call it by its name. I don't understand why that is so difficult, okay? All right, so the next is submitted by Arya Naluri, and he wanted to know about Biden's assault allegations. So, if you didn't know, Joe Biden has been accused of assault. Uh, an aide of his in 1993, uh, I'm going to be missing out some of the details for time's sake, but I'm going to have to give you a general synopsis. Basically, she said at some point, Biden pinned her against a wall, and he put his fingers down her skirt. Okay, Biden's been accused of assault. Now, as of late, it has not gotten full-on mainstream attention. There have been, uh, I would say, pretty mainstream um, news outlets that have reported it. You know, Fox News, Vox News, um, the rhymes. But anyway, the allegations uh, have not been taken, as I would say, too seriously, uh, which I see as a major issue. Okay, we just had a Me Too movement that discussed why it is such an issue to ignore these allegations, okay? But for some reason, we're doing what we've been warned against and what we talked about for so long. We're, we're taking steps back here. Listen, these allegations need to be taken seriously, okay? They need to be taken seriously. We cannot ignore this. This is, this is an allegation by someone who you know broke down the podcast, who had a serious story put towards them, and we cannot ignore it, okay? The issue is it's her word versus his, because there have not been any aides who have come out to say that this didn't happen, okay? Or, sorry, to say that did happen. Clear. There have been no aides to come out to say it did happen, all right? And 
also Joe Biden's campaign came out and said, oh, this 100% did not happen. This is completely you know, disgraceful that you're trying to say this. This is not true at all. Okay. It's, it's pretty much his word versus hers. Okay. You know, but I think for this to be taken more seriously, there's going to be, you know, people need to contact other aides to ask them, hey, you know, do you think this happened? You know, uh, did he ever act like that in front of you? And I think that's the only way this allegation is going to be taken more seriously. But again, we learned from the Me Too movement, you cannot ignore this. Okay, you cannot ignore these claims of men and women who have been assaulted. You, you shouldn't ignore it. And we've learned that, and I don't understand why now we're going to allow it to happen. Okay, you cannot say one thing, then do another. If, if we said, okay, when you take this seriously, take this allegation seriously. T take it at face value, take it seriously. Okay, it's, it's, it's all I'm going to say. All right. Next is on to what foreign and domestic issues uh, are the United States currently facing, and that is submitted by Hayden Miller. Corona. Uh, corona does not discriminate who it goes after. It is currently the biggest issue that we are having to deal with, um, foreign or domestic. However, uh, China, Russia, and Iran are other countries that we need to keep our eye on. There have been plenty of times where they think they can get away with something or their attention's on something else, so they go and do something that either violates international law or that you know we've explicitly said not for them to do. Okay, we cannot take our eyes off of them during this crisis. We, we can't. Uh, we genuinely cannot. We need to focus on them. We need to watch what they're doing. We need to watch them very closely. Okay, China, Russia, and Iran are three countries that do not have our best interest at heart. Um, and who need to be monitored because they could possibly take steps that could hurt us, okay? The, the corona is the biggest issue we face. However, we need to keep our eyes on China, Russia, and Iran. Okay, so the next question is submitted by Ethan Potter, and he wanted to know which candidate, uh, candidate I support. Personally, I support Bernie Sanders. My, the first reason why is for Medicare for All. I do not believe that someone's life is a commodity, it's as AOC said. I don't believe someone's life is a commodity. Whatever you're listening to this on, it's a commodity. A life's not a commodity, okay? Someone should not have to die because they weren't able to make the payment, okay? Our, our medical system has been failing these people. And what is insane to me is the fact that the studies have shown Medicare for All will not only cost less, it'll be more efficient, Okay, it's going to be more efficient, but for some reason, because it's labeled as a socialist policy, we've decided not to do it. We've decided not to do it, okay? For, for some insane reason, we're allowing people of a lower economic status to not only turn away healthcare because they can't afford it, but for them not to even get it, okay? One, there are people who won't even go to the hospital because they know they can't afford it, and two, when they do go, they're going to be hit with these payments to where it's going to bankrupt them. Okay, you should not have to go bankrupt because your child's in the hospital with cancer. You you should not have to you know completely be put in this terrible scenario that you're already in, and then on top of that, you are now bankrupt because you can't you can't make those payments for your kid because they you know they have cancer. You can't pay for that because of our medical system. Okay, these parents are facing issues that some of us can't even imagine, and on top of that, we're now saying, oh, you're going to lose your home by the way because you can't pay for it. Uh, you, you're going to lose your home. Sorry, you can't pay for it. Too bad. That sucks. That That is ridiculous to me. We, there is a system to where we join these other developed nations like Finland, Greenland, the United Kingdom that have this policy. It's shown it's going to be cheaper and more efficient, but we refuse to go with it because it's a socialist policy. Because They see it as socialism. Okay? It's not going to create some huge wave to where we move from capitalism to socialism. It's not going to do that. 
It is a, is a policy in place that's been put with this label of socialism that is going to save lives, be more efficient, but for some reason, people have not decided to go with it. it it's absolutely ridiculous. A life is not a commodity. Plain and simple, a life is not a commodity. You do not choose to purchase it. You do not put supply and demand with someone's life. No, you, you do not do that. There should not be a price tag on someone's life. Everyone from birth should have the right to medical care. Have the right to medical care. And also, there have been people to say, oh, well, what if someone, you know, is refusing medical care or they don't take care of themselves? Okay, they don't take care of themselves, so why should I have to pay for them? You could have a hundred of those guys. If I'm taking care of the single mother who has to raise all her kids on her own and I'm taking care of her health concerns, if I'm taking care of the child with cancer whose parents are crying because not only is a child of cancer, they're going bankrupt. If I'm taking care of them, I don't care about the people who aren't taking care of themselves. That's fine. I'll pay for them. I want to take care of those people. Those are the people who need our help. Okay? We need to think about the people in these desperate scenarios. And it's not like... Oh, there's like a hundred of these people who don't want to take care of themselves and one of these issues. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. There is the majority of these people are being put in scenarios in which they're going to go bankrupt because they can't make these medical payments. And it is absolutely ridiculous that we have not taken care of them with Medicare for All. That's the first reason I support Bernie. I believe in Medicare for All. I stand firmly with it. Okay. Next is his consistency. A lot of the issues that we're talking about, such as Medicare for All, um, are issues that Bernie has always been consistent on. He hasn't changed his beliefs on it. You know, in 2006 and 2008, politicians started to make a switch to, uh, to you know, support LGBTQ people, okay? Support the right to gay marriage. Obama himself, in 2006, Barack Obama said gay people should not be allowed to be married. Once the polls changed and the polls showed more Americans want that, that's when he started to change what he said. Okay, Barack Obama made the change when the polls made the change. Bernie Sanders in the 1980s held a rally for LGBTQ people. His consistency is insane. Okay, He hasn't switched up on these issues. And I believe we should have someone who's been fighting for the same issues all their life in the White House. To deal with these issues, we need to have someone who's been consistent. No one's more consistent than Bernie Sanders on these issues. Bernie Sanders has been consistent on all of these. And I think that's something that needs to be taken very seriously. Because why do I want someone who's, oh, made the switch 10 years ago? No, I want the guy who's been saying the same thing, who's been talking about the issues that this politician, politician just made a switch on. I want the person who's been doing that for decades. And that's Bernie Sanders, plain and simple. His consistency and his you know record uh, in maintaining that consistency is unbeatable. No politician can come to it. Um, again, one of the other reasons is I think he has a better chance. Okay, The Democratic Party uh, has believed that if we put a moderate... Uh, up there and a moderate against someone, they have a better chance of winning because, you know, we don't want to shake the establishment. We don't want to put in someone with this huge change. Let's go with the moderate. Let's talk about some of those moderates. John Kerry, moderate candidate. We put him in. He loses. Hillary Clinton, moderate candidate. We put her in. She loses. Moderates don't win. It's plain and simple. Let's talk about the person who beat Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. Donald Trump was not the safe candidate for the Republican Party. He, his entire thing was, I'm going to shake up the establishment. They put him up. He wins. Why? Because he said he was going to shake up the establishment. That's what he said. People believed he was going to do it, so they elected him. And he beat the moderate. So we need to stop going with a safe bet. Let's talk about the last Democrat uh, candidate to win, Barack Obama. He was not seen as this moderate candidate. He was seen as, oh, I'm going to bring on change. He, he was seen as this progressive who was going to bring on the change. For, first African-American president in history. He was going to have a health care system, Obamacare, to help these people. Okay, he was seen as the progressive. He wins. 
When we put the moderates up, they lose. Look at the record. When the moderates go up, we lose. When we put in the progressives, we win. And Bernie Sanders, in my chant, in my opinion, is going to bring on. He he he's the candidate to where I think people are going to think he's going to bring on the most change, and because of that, I, I think uh, he has the best chance of winning. Moving on. This uh, question is from my friend Desiree. She asked about Maryland state prosecutor dismissing nonviolent crimes. Okay, so in Maryland, the state prosecutor said that prosecutors sh- uh, cannot prosecute nonviolent crimes and also released some prisoners of nonviolent crimes. Okay. First, my, my belief on the severe prosecution of nonviolent crimes is a whole other thing. That will be another episode. But do I agree with Maryland doing this? Yes, I do. The coronavirus in prisons you gotta remember these people can't like oh uh, coronavirus is here let me move away from it no they're they're locked in if it gets in the prisons it's gonna get all around them um and that's a major issue so yes i agree with her uh you cannot have leave these people in there who have not who, who in my opinion don't really deserve to be there in the first place um so yes i completely agree with her i also agree um of her not of her saying that people should not prosecute the nonviolent crimes of maryland i completely agree with that okay Next question is from Elias Ansa, who asked about the significance of political parties. So, political parties, uh, they allow people with mutual beliefs to work under one label, okay? You know, the Democratic Party, they're seen as the party of big government and social programs. The Republican Party is seen as the party of small government, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, trickle-down economics, okay? And while there's many varying degrees in each party, you know, you have people, you know, it's pretty much the same in the sense of like, oh, Republican Party, you have conservatives, and you have the more moderate people. You know, you also have libertarians uh, now. In the Democratic Party, you have far-left liberals, and you have more moderate people, okay? While I would say the, the parties, they have a wide degree of, you know, what they want to do, their policies, they still unite people who have similar ideas, and, you know, that's that's the significance of the political parties. Okay. Next question is submitted by Hunter Meadows, and he asked, uh, should transgender athletes be allowed to compete in sports? 100%. Uh, without question, they should. Uh, this is not someone who's saying, oh, I identify as this. No. This is someone whose chemical makeup has literally been changed. The, their biology and hormones have literally been changed. They are no longer the gender that they were before. They have literally changed to the other gender. Their chemical makeup has changed. I can give you one example. In the Olympics, there was an Olympic runner. She was a female. She was not transgender, but she was not allowed to compete because her hormone levels were too high. These transgender athletes, their hormone levels have literally changed. They meet the hormone standards. Okay, if there's a hormone standard for people who have, you know, not even gone through these transitions, and then there's people who are still meeting that hormone level once they transition... Of course you allow those people to compete. Without question, transgender athletes should be allowed to compete. They have changed their chemical makeup. They're not the gender they were before. 100% should be allowed to compete. Okay. Next question. Uh, what are some of the flaws of the two-party system that was submitted by Claire Reader? Here's the thing. One-party system, that can't exist. Uh, One-party system doesn't work. That was the USSR. That completely failed. Okay. And... You know, multi-party system besides the two-party system. The issue with that is that, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of issues that some of these parties will agree on, but because they're not under the same roof, they're going to disagree with it. Okay, I can give you a perfect example. In the Democratic Party, AOC and Joe Biden, AOC has said, how are me and him the same party? In any other country, we wouldn't be in the same party. 
That is true. In any other country, you wouldn't be in the same party. But if you look at how they voted, they usually vote the same. Why? Because they have the same basic beliefs when it comes to these parties. Okay, when it comes to how they feel things should be dealt with. Okay, the two-party system has flaws in the sense that it doesn't really allow newer ideas to come through, like third-party candidates. But I'll bring this up, okay? Libertarian Party. Uh, Third biggest party in the United States, okay? It it comes in, all right? And, you know, people are going to say, oh, two-party system doesn't allow new ideas. Republican Party is shifting more to the Libertarian Party to have more Libertarian policies. You know, that shows, hey, they had a movement so large, the Republican Party is changing for it. You know, and the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is going more, um, you know, progressive and more liberal because of the huge change we've had. It's, It's going more to the left. You know, the two-party system has plenty of flaws, but the issue is that the flaws don't always shine through, okay? There were, people believe, that, oh, you know, there's not going to be a huge uh, change. You know, other ideas won't get through. Well, they have recently. You know, the two-party system isn't perfect, but the difference is that I think it also, you know, it allows people who still have similar ideas, even though they disagree in the semantics, to still unite on something because when it comes down to it, you know, the specifics of a bill, it's not always going to go to one party or another, okay? And, if, and like, let's say a four-party system, you're not going to get something to where it's fully going to lean one way, okay? In a two-party system, it's going to lean one one way uh, more than the other, but the difference is you won't have infighting with people who are saying the same thing, okay? That's, that's, that's my opinion on the two-party system. I know other people disagree, but I, I believe in the two-party system. You know, you can have different pockets of it, but I believe the two-party system uh, does work. And to end this, I want to thank everyone for taking the time out of their day to listen to this. I really do appreciate it. We're going to keep talking about issues that, you know, you care about and that I care about um, in the next episode uh, next week. But again, I want to thank everyone for choosing to listen to the Rockets Red Glare podcast um, and have a wonderful day.